15 years ago today, how many of you could remember exactly where you were? Wow, I mean, that's a, that's a, good, a good number of us. Uh, and uh, I see some of, you, some of the youth were saying, I think, I know, we know you better than that. <laughs> now, if you're 12 years old, you don't remember where you were 15 years ago, right? Now, but 15 years ago, ago today, wow, what, a, what a, an impactful day. And uh, I don't want to focus on the, the politics of it all or any of that, but uh, I, I do want to say that one thing that did come out of that was uh, an idea of heroism, right? And, and as we saw many people running away from uh, the towers as they were crumbling, and, and many of us watching from, from our televisions and, and seeing what was going on, yet there were heroes, men who would run to the, uh, to the disaster to, in order to save as many lives as they could. Many of them gave their lives too. And so uh, it really instilled this idea of what a hero really is. And it's not what you see in the comic books. It's not what you see in the Marvel movies, right? It's a hero is what, you, what we saw that day. Amen? And, um, and so here we're starting a new series here today called Heroes of the Faith. And again, these aren't, these aren't superheroes. These are normal men and women, right? People who... Uh, who, because of something in their, their lives, became heroes. In fact, Hebrews 11, which is where we're going to focus for, for the next number of weeks, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, we're looking at what many have called the Great Hall of Faith. Right? You've heard of the Great Hall of Fame, right? And, or the, 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 when you think of a Hall of Fame and, and the various sports, and, and, and you have all of the people who have made a significant impact. And, and uh, it just gives an opportunity for people to go to a Hall of Fame and look at, see who has had a major impact in, in their sport or in their area. And, and, and so Hebrews 11 has been called the, the Great Hall of Faith because we have some of the, the great heroes of the faith all mentioned in a, in a great list there. But, you know, it's important to understand Hebrews 11 in context, right? This is probably one of the few times where I'm jumping into the middle of a book, and, uh, or actually towards the end of a book uh, for, uh, for a short, uh, short series here. But uh, it's important to understand the context of the book of Hebrews. A couple things about the background of the book of he- Hebrews. First of all, Hebrews is one of those few books of the Bible where it doesn't mention who the author was. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's not mentioned in, in the book. You know, some say that it's Paul because, uh, because there are a lot of themes uh, that are similar. There's a lot of analogies, like the running analogy that Paul seems to like, and he uses that analogy. And, and, uh, and so there's some, some similar things. Some say it's anyone but Paul, right? Some say, well, it can't be Paul because in Hebrews 2, verse 3, it, it mentions that, that he talked with those and confirmed the message that he was preaching by those who were eyewitnesses of Jesus, where Paul, at times, refers to himself as an eyewitness of Jesus uh, because of uh, speaking directly to him on the road to Damascus. But again, it could mean that he was going and just confirming the message with those who walked and talked with him. And so it leaves us a little bit in the dark. But there's one thing that we have for certain, and that is, it, 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 being one of the earlier New Testament books, it was, it was accepted by the church as having apostolic authority right from the beginning. That no one has really ever questioned that. So there's no doubt that the early church saw this as, as an apostolic or an inspired uh, book. And so we take it at its face value. When you look at the name Hebrews, um, the, what does the word Hebrew mean? It has to do with being a Jew, right? The Hebrews, the Jews. 
And so it's, an, it's a, a book that is written to those who had a Jewish heritage, a, a Hebrew heritage, but were, were now in the Christian circles. Uh, they, they had, they had uh, believed in Christ as the Messiah, and they have all this rich Hebrew heritage. Now, when you think of the, the context of what was going on in this, in this book, we, we have to understand the, the, the context of faith that the Hebrews carried into this, into this occasion. And so when we look at the context, they had a rich, rich Hebrew heritage. See, there, this is not the first time that they had received written word from God. This is not the first time for the Hebrews. Now, for the, for, the, for the Gentiles, yeah, when they received the New Testament and they received what was being written in the, at the time that Hebrews was, was given to them, yes, this was new to them. But this was not new to the Hebrews. This was not new to the Jews. Uh, and so th- there were four times, actually, in history already where they had received written word from God. Uh, let's walk through that briefly and so we understand what they were thinking when they received the book of, of Hebrews. First, there was what we call primeval history, right? Primeval history, are those are, that's Genesis 1 through 11, and in there we find this, the story of creation, and we, we find uh, the story of, and I say story, but you know that when I say story, I mean a narrative, right? It's, it's not a story like made up, right? This is real. And so we find the, the, the story of how God created the universe and Adam and Eve and, and, um, and how they fell in the garden. And then we have this period that we call primeval history, Genesis 1 through 11. Everything from Adam just short of Abraham. And out of this, we have 2,500 years of history. And we know very little about what it was like. God only pulls out four stories out of those 2,500 years of history and shares them with us amazing when you think about that. And uh, so we have no idea what it was like prior to the flood and prior to this. And and it makes sense too, because right in Genesis, when God created man, he gave us four commandments. He said, this this is the great commission of the Old Testament, and he gives us four commandments. And yet there are four stories in Genesis 1 through 11, each story showing how mankind has failed in each of the four commandments. I'd love to preach that sometime. So maybe we'll do Genesis sometime, right? But it, it's a fantastic thing to see. And, and, and what we find is in the Genesis 1 through 11 is we, we, we realize that, that what sin is and that we're guilty of it as human beings. Everything God has called us to do, we failed at it. And if we, if we ended the Bible in Genesis 11, uh, we would all be depressed, right? Because we're sinners. We realize we're sinners. We realize we fail at God. We, he, he deserves our honor. He deserves our glory. And we fail. That's, they have this in their rich whole, uh, cultural heritage, in their, their heritage of faith. Then from there, we have what we call patriarchal history. The word patriarch, we we're referring to the patriarchs of Israel. Uh, were Abraham and Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, the patriarchs of Israel. And so in Genesis 12, God begins to un unveil his pro- the process of salvation. And he begins by calling a person, Abraham, and says, Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And, and this nation is going to not just be a, a blessed nation, but this nation will be so blessed that it will become a blessing to the rest of the families of all of the earth. This is Genesis 12. And, uh, and so we find this patriarchal history where there's, it's, a, it's an issue of faith and struggles with faith and how God is going to keep his promise. God is faithful to keep his promise in spite of all the struggles that they went through. Remember, there were struggles. Remember, God promised Abraham 
that he would make as many descendants as the, as the stars in heavens. And, and yet, how old was Abraham? How old was his wife? And not only the age of his wife was a problem, but she had been barren all her life. And yet, God's promising to, to create nations out of him. Wow. And so we see that in spite of this. And then he has a son. And, uh, he has two sons uh, because he tries it in his own power. We have Ishmael. And then he, then he tries it in, in faith, and he has Isaac. And, uh, and by the way, that, that, uh, the, the friction that has gone between Isaac and Ishmael and their descendants has gone on to this day. In fact, if you don't understand that, that dynamic of what happened there, then you will not understand 9-11, right? Why? Because this is what, what happened and when, when you had a, he had a child out of, uh, outside of faith and trying things in his own way, and, and there was such um, a disdain between them that, that what we find all through history is um, uh, with, with uh, Israel, or Jacob, he was called originally, he got changed the name to Israel, and we had 12 sons, became the 12 tribes. And yet you had the 12 princes that became the Arabic nations and how they have fought against each other from that day on. The bitterness goes all the way back to Genesis, right? And so this is the patriarchal history. But yet God was faithful all through that. And by the end of, of Genesis uh, we find that it is, it's worked. In fact, you read Exodus 1. It says that the people of Israel may multiplied and they were spread out. Now they became slaves in Egypt, but they, they fulfilled the Great Commission. They, were, they, they had grown in population. And so that's where we start what we call Pentateuchial history. Now some of you are saying, Pastor Dave, you're throwing out big words today. I apologize for that. That's the last big word for the day, all right? But Pent just means five. Tuk means book, right? Or it could be a last name for a hobbit, for those who enjoy that. And, uh, sorry, it's the Lord of the Rings humor. It comes out, it's just a hard hobbit to break. But uh, Pentateuch uh, means the five books. When you think of the five books, the, the first five books of the Bible were written by whom? By Moses. And so really, you think, uh, when you think about Pentateuchal history, we think about Moses. And, uh, and so they had received, for the first time, written word of God. And we had someone speaking on behalf of God. And, and we had the law as given. And we find it given in Leviticus. We find it given a second time in Deuteronomy. And, and, and this was a blessing. To, to learn what is it that God wants from us. And, and the idea behind it was that if you obey, there would be blessing, and if you disobey, there would be curses. And, uh, and what, a, what a foundational part of their heritage. Um, and so they looked up to Moses. They looked up to him and understood him. And then that takes us up through Deuteronomy. And then we have a section of the Bible that we call prophetic history. This is the history of the prophets. In the Hebrew Bible, the first book of the prophets is Joshua. And it goes all the way through the end of the Old Testament, um, which is Second Corinthians in Hebrew Bible or Malachi in our, in our English Bibles. And, and um, they have all the same books, just a slightly different order. But the prophetic history, uh, what do we have there? In the prophetic history, uh, we have a system put in place uh, because what we learned in, in uh, Joshua is exactly what we learned in Deuteronomy, but in real life. See, in Deuteronomy, we learn that disobedience brings curses and obedience brings blessing. And then in Joshua, they, we remember this, we studied this together, right? In Joshua, we saw how when they were obedient, what happened? The conquest, they were defeating their enemies and they were beating their enemies. And then the book of Judges comes and they forget their God. They forget where their victory came from. And what happens in the book of Judges? Well, there we see defeat. 
we see them in degradation. We see, we see, and so we see both of this. And, and then in 1 Samuel, what happens? The people say, we're tired of having God as king. We want a human king. Remember that? We want a human king. And God says, no, I'll be your king. No, we want a human king. And God says, well, the human king is going to come with a huge price tag. Huge price tag. You're going to have to pay taxes. You're, you're going you're to have to fight your own wars. Men will die in those wars. That's okay. We, 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 want, a, we want a king. And so then we read through the rest of the prophets uh, that we had kings. And, and some kings, we, they would do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And things would start to go well. And then the next king would be evil, do what's evil in the eyes of the Lord. And things kept getting worse. And we see that spiral down until finally both Israel and Judah because Israel had split into two. Israel and Judah were both carried in captivity. Why? Because that goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings curses. This was part of the curse from Deuteronomy. It was predicted. And, uh, and it, leaves us, it leaves us there. And yet all of this, we find, points to one person. And who is that? It's Jesus Christ. All of this points to Jesus Christ. You go back to primeval history, and right from the beginning, with it, it, there's a there's a promise at the curse that a descendant of Eve would conquer the serpent. Remember that? You, you go to patriarchal history, and and uh, and and we we find a, an Abrahamic covenant being fulfilled in whom? In Jesus Christ. We find uh, in, in uh, Pentateuchial history, and, and we find uh, the, the satisfaction of the law done in Jesus Christ. We find in prophetic history and, and, and all of their things, we find that, that the, all of this, all of the prophets pointed to whom? To Jesus Christ. This is the background now. So for a Hebrew, if, you could, if you've got yourself in the shoes of a Hebrew now, this is what you have been taught as a, as a child. And now that Jesus Christ is here, you're beginning to see how everything fits together. Does that make sense? Now enter the scene, Emperor Nero. Emperor Nero, Roman emperor, and he started a campaign of propaganda and persecution against Christians, right? He hated the Christians. And, uh, uh, you know, they were uncontrollable to him. Now, let me, let me explain. See, if you look at, at all of the heritage, the part of this wasn't the problem. In fact, most of it wasn't the problem because everything prior to Christ, that's politically correct, right? Now, by the way, we think that political correctness started recently in our lifetime. No, it didn't, right? Political correctness has been going on for a long time, what is politically correct. But see, up to this point, believing up to that, to that level, this was run by men. In fact, the Jewish uh, faith at that point had been taken over by your Pharisees or Sadducees, and they were fighting each other, but, but it was run by men. Who was in charge of the doctrine? Men, right? And so men can be manipulable. Men can be, can be controlled by the government. Men can be, but all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene, and he's claiming to be the king. And finally they say, well, well, let's kill this king. They kill the king, and guess what? He comes back to life. And then he's ascended into heaven, and yet he's still... How do you kill a king who's ascended into heaven? Do you see the problem with Christianity from a Roman perspective? And all of a sudden, we we don't like this. We, we We like to maintain control. This is a religion that is getting out of control because of Christ. So if you believe in Christ, then you'll be persecuted. And we know the, the length and the, the depth that the persecution arrived at at some point, right? 
and, and the type of persecution that the Christians were going through. So here became the sentiment. The sentiment was like, well, let's just get rid of that last part. Let's just get rid of Christ. Remember all the heritage that we had, if we can still believe in that, have the same holidays that we've been celebrating since we were young. You know, we can, we can still have Hanukkah celebrations. We can, still, we can do all of the things, the Yom Kippur. We, but if we just take out the Christ part, then we can escape all of this propaganda. We can escape all of this persecution. Live longer. Do you see the sentiment? This is the background. This is why Hebrews was written. So the writer of Hebrews is, 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 is here to explain to them that, no, you cannot, you cannot do this. The writer of Hebrews then walks them through their own heritage. He walks them through primeval history. He walks them through patriarchal and pentateuchal history and prophetic history and explains to them how all of this points back to Christ. That's the purpose of the book of Hebrews. And so in chapters 1 through 10... This is what he does. And he, and he shows them throughout this, the, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's one word that, uh, that it's a Greek word, that he, he uses over and over and over again in those first ten chapters. And it's, it's called kraton. That's how you pronounce it uh, in, in Greek. Kraton. But it's translated as either better or superior or more excellent. Uh, and you find that word all through those first 10 chapters. And in every case, you know who, whom he's referring to? To Jesus Christ. He's saying Jesus Christ is better. And so that's what I want to do today. Um, uh, as we set, up, set the stage for this series on heroes of the faith, I want to make sure we understand where it fits in, in context. So today I'm going to look at the highlights. I have never preached, by the way, I've never preached 10 chapters in one day. So this is going to... This is going to be like, have you ever watched a, or missed a football game or something like that? And so you watch the highlights. That's what today is going to be, right? We're just going to look at some highlights of the, of, of, of the book of, of Hebrews chapters 1 through 10. And we're going to take a look at, at, uh, at some of these, thing, these, uh, these things and just look at some highlights. Um, and I'll tell you, when I studied this together, uh, to put together this message, it made me wish that we had started in Hebrews 1. Because there's a lot of great stuff in here. And uh, well, let's look at... Uh, at primeval history first. How does Hebrews start? So if you would turn with me to the book of Hebrews, uh, we'll be in Hebrews for the rest of, of the day. But Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, this is what we read. This is how the book starts. God, who at various times and in various w- ways spoke in time past to our fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Let me just stop there for a moment. This is how he begins. He's saying, he starts lifting up all the things that as Hebrews, they had been lifting up, the prophets and, and all of this history and heritage. And he's saying, God used to speak that way. He has spoke to you in times past in that way, but now he has spoken to us through his son. Something much more intimate. Than that, than than the prophets. A prophet is a messenger, right? And now God is saying, now I'm speaking to you know. Now God is speaking it through His Son. Then He goes on to say that His Son is the heir of all things. Because all things really belong to whom? To God, and specifically to Jesus. He says through whom also He made the worlds. 
Now, a lot of times, you know, in fact, there are a lot of denominations that take Christ and they reduce him as if being the son, of, uh, uh, being the son makes him less. But son is more of a position. Was, was Jesus Christ ever born? Well, in one sense, in a human body he was born, right? But was, was, he ever, was there ever a moment when he didn't exist and then came into existence? No. Jesus Christ was there in Genesis 1 when the worlds were created. Jesus Christ is the creator of the world. Think about that. And so we, we have to understand, we're not just talking about dropping one prophet here. You know, and believing in all the prophets minus one. We're talking about the creator of the world. Not just the world, according to this concept. The world's plural. All of creation. Wow. Let that sink in. Jesus Christ is the creator. He was there at creation. Wow. When you think about that. Um, it goes on to say, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of, of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Again, anyone who argues that Jesus is not God does not understand scripture. Amen? I mean, it's very clear here. You can't get much clearer than this. He is the brightness of his glory. He is the express image. Uh, and so we, we can't see God in, in his form. So God became Jesus, Jesus Christ in the form of a human being so that we could un- relate, so we can understand him. By the way, this fits everything that we see going on in the Old Testament. You see Israel saying, we want a king who is a human being, someone with whom we can relate. And, and God saying, no, I want to be your king. Because human kings fail. That's the point of the prophetic history. And what do we find? We find the answer in a person who is 100% man and 100% God. So God can be our king. Does that make sense? But someone with whom we can relate and, and understand. Someone who has suffered as we suffered every temptation but found without sin, the Bible says. And so this is our God. I think one, one thing that's also interesting here that it brings up says upholding all things by the word of his power. Think about that for a moment. The Old Testament teaches us that all things that are visible are made out of things that are invisible, right? And by the way, we knew that from Scripture long before scientists figured that out. When you think of the power, we have seen the power of a single atom, right? Think of that. The the power of a single atom. And there's even more power. Think the nucleus of an atom. The power that we find just in the nucleus of an atom is immense. We've seen pictures of them, of that. And the Bible says that God is sustaining that power at all times. The Bible says, uh, in Old Testament, it says, if it weren't for God, we would immediately be consumed. Right? Think about it. the power that God can take, the power of an atomic bomb, of a nuclear missile. He can take that power in every single atom of the universe, and he is sustaining that power by the word of, of his power. Let that sink in from That's more power than we can imagine. Isn't that true? This is Jesus. And so the thought, he, so the writer of Hebrews is lifting up Jesus, helping us understand the supremacy of who Jesus Christ actually is. That's the the message there. Uh, Verse 4, Having become so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And so he's taking, oh, the angels that the the Hebrews were lifting up, and wow, the angels this, angels that. And he's saying, Jesus Christ is better than that. 
life. They're, they're creatures. They're created by God. But Jesus Christ himself is God. The point of that, of, of, the, of the primeval history in the book of, of um, Hebrews is simple. It's that Christ has a more excellent name than even the angels because he's the creator of the universe. And we, and, and I, we forget that sometimes. I think we know it right here. I mean, how, I mean, we all knew that, right? I don't think anyone's surprised by the fact that Jesus Christ is the creator of the world. Wow, I never knew that. But we forget it right here, don't we? That when we're talking to Jesus Christ, when, when we're talking about Jesus Christ, we're talking about someone who is presently, right now, keeping your atoms from exploding. With that kind of power. Then let's walk through patriarchal history. And then this is what Hebrews uh, does as well. And so think Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and uh, so just to take a quick highlight from there, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 through 20. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. This is what we read. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. This is the, 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 the promise to Abraham. We call this the Abrahamic covenant. By the way, the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews had an intimate knowledge of how Hebrew works. Because in Hebrew, when you want to add emphasis, you, you take the same root verb and you turn that verb into a, uh, an adjective or an adverb, excuse me, and you put those together. And, and so that's why uh, the writer un- understood that because he translates it directly from the Hebrew and he says, surely blessing I will bless you. So in a blessing way, I'm going to bless you. Um, or uh, in multiplying, I will multiply you. It shows that, that this person had an intimate knowledge of Hebrew scripture and a Hebrew understanding of scripture. Uh, we find another example of this, for example, in, uh, in Exodus 15, after they crossed the Red Sea and they started singing and they, and they wrote this song and they sang this song um, and it goes, Ashira ladonai ki go'oga'a. That go'oga'a. I will, first, I will sing unto the Lord... For, ki, ga'o, ga'a. It comes from the same root. He has triumphed triumphantly. And that's what, so when you want to put a real emphasis here, and so here we have this emphasis. Surely, blessing, I will bless you. Surely, multiplying, I will multiply you. And so we sing this emphasis and the promise that God made to Abraham. Verse 15, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath by confirmation for for them an end of all dispute. Thus, God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. Now, what's that talking about? Uh, this Abrahamic uh, covenant and the, and the promise of this idea of the presence behind the veil, the idea that, that reworking our, ourselves into the relationship where there's no, more, no longer a veil between us and God. And we find that demonstrated in the tabernacle and later on in the temple where, where as you work your way towards the presence of God, you, you cannot enter the Holy of Holies because there's a huge veil. And there, that represents what sin has done. By the way, that veil was torn once in history. Do you remember that? Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Uh, It goes on to say in verse 20, 
where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. I said, Pastor Dave, where is this going? This part gets a little bit deep, but we have to understand, uh, understand something. Jesus is the high priest. First of all, what does that mean? He is the one who crosses from the holy, the holy place into the Holy of Holies. He is the one who can restore access to God once again for us. He, he, is, he is the high priest. Now, what does that mean, the order of Melchizedek? Uh, well, you might remember Abraham came across a priest in the order of Melchizedek his, uh, in, in, uh, back in Genesis. And you say, well, what, what was that all about? Well, let's continue to read chapter 7, verse 1. We read, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him in whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek actually means in Hebrew. Melech is king. Zedek is righteousness. So Melchizedek is king of righteousness. And then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. That's where we get the word shalom from. goes on to say, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days, nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Wait, what is, what is he saying here? This Melchizedek, he, he didn't have a beginning. He didn't have an end. He didn't have parents. He didn't have genealogy. This was the real deal. The priesthood in the order of Levi is an image or a copy of that. It's a shadow of that. It goes on to say, uh, now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a, a tenth of the spoils. He's saying, you guys worship practically Abraham. I mean, you lift him up. He is the father of the Jews. And, and you lift him up. And yet Abraham came in contact with Jesus in a miraculous form. And he recognized he needed to give everything to him. And this was a priest who, who was a priest that is a priest continually. Very different than the Levites. You know, the first Levites that, that led the, the sacrifices are not the same ones that led hundreds of years later. Why? Because they're human beings. They died. They had to be replaced. But here we have a priest that never gets replaced. Wow. Think about that for a moment. And uh, so what we find in patriarchal history, Christ has, an, has a more excellent name than even Abraham because Abraham honored him as a priest of the highest order. The supremacy of Jesus Christ. Okay. This is not working now. Can you, can, you, can you guys advance it from up there? The light's showing, but it's not advancing. There we go. So, so we go that, hit it one more time, and we'll see. Uh, there we go. Pentateuchial history. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1. 1 through 6. Can we, can we advance that as well? Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Here we find that word kraton again. More glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who has built all things is God. 
And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of, of those things which would be spoken afterwards. Verse 6, But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. What we find here, uh, and you can take the next slide, what we find here is, is very simple, that Christ is greater than even Moses. Why? Because he is the author of everything. You know, it's one thing to be the creator, it, it, to, to create something, but to be the author shows that there's design and order in what you're creating. And uh, um, unlike modern art today, where a lot of modern art is just creating, right? Designing and creating is, is creating something with purpose and intent. And, um, in fact, it reminds me of a, of a homework assignment I had in college once. I had a, uh, an English lit class, and I, I felt like the, the, the teacher, she was a very sweet, godly woman. But sometimes she would read stuff and pull things out of there that I think, really? Is that what the author was thinking? You know, out of poems? Anyone else have a teacher like that? And was like, like, I remember one time she said, well, the, the four S sounds in this paragraph were intended to make you feel like a snake. Or this, I'm like, what paragraph doesn't have four S's in it? Right? And, and, I, and I would find these things. And she gave this one assignment one time. And she said, you have to take a contemporary poem and you, you write out the poem and then you critique it and you write about the poem. And so I, I, I raised my hand to ask a couple questions because I asked a lot of questions all the time. Um, they say there's no such thing as dumb questions, but there are a lot of inquisitive idiots out there, and I was one of them. And so, uh, so I asked, I said, well, can, can it be this part? It doesn't have to be famous, Dave. Just, you know, can, I, can we do something? And I, she'd, say, she'd interrupt me, and she'd say, Dave, no, just anything, as long as it's following the words of the assignment, you're okay. So I thought, okay, I'll, I, I know what I'll do. And so I decided to write a poem and critique it. By the way, anyone in college, I'm telling you, do, do as I say, not as I do, all right? <laughs> but, uh, so don't do this. But I, I did that, and, and uh, so I wrote a poem, and of course I put a different name on it, and, and uh, uh, just like a pen name, right? And so I put a name on it, and so I wrote this, this poem, and then I critiqued it, you know? And, uh, and so I did that, and I turned it in. I get it back, and I had an A minus, so it wasn't a bad grade or anything. But when I, I saw some red marks, so I looked at the red marks to see where she had marked me down, and and I remember that she wrote down, "Well, in this part, you misinterpreted what the author was really getting at." <laughs> now, the reason we laugh is because we all understand it's just built in us that the author of something has the authority to say what's right or wrong about it, right? And so, so I never did tell her that I was the author. So, um, so let's not put this message online. Just kidding. But, um, but you know, she's a sweet lady. And, uh, but you know what? It, it, there, we laugh at that. Now let's take that same idea, multiply it times infinity. See, I, I authored a poem and a cheesy one at that. God in the form of Jesus Christ, authored what? Everything. He authored everything. And when you think about that, then who has all authority? God does. In the form of Jesus? Yes. And so we can't take, I mean, we have to understand the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all of history. He's the author of it. 
We can't leave him out. Amen? Can't leave him out. Let's uh, move on to the next slide. And uh, click it once. We'll see. Again, prophetic history. Very good. So let's look at prophetic history as well. So now we're thinking from Joshua all the way through the end of the Old Testament. And we understand here at this point, salvation came through faith. And that was manifested in, in obedience uh, to a system of annual sacrifices. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 10. This is what we read. For if that, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Verse 8. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So what's he saying? The Old Testament and the prophets, it predicts that there will be a new covenant. And why would there need to be a new covenant if there was no problem with the old covenant? And he, so he's saying, he's, he's pushing us back towards the new covenant. He goes on to say in verse 8, um, uh, behold, uh, behold, finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 9, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. The Old Testament is pointing towards something else because the law was intended to teach us of our own failures so that he could put something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the, the law was written on stone, right? And, the, and here with this new covenant, this New Testament, the law is now written on our hearts, changing us from the inside out. Wow, isn't that a better covenant? I mean, when, when a person is changed from the, the inside out, it's very different than trying to change from the outside in. And this is a much better covenant. Let's uh, skip ahead to, to chapter 9, uh, chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. We read this. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Goes on to say, uh, continue on. Uh, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the, whole, the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling of the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And then verse 15, and for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may, may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Wow, all this comes because of whom? Because of Christ. The old, the old was just a shadow of the real. Uh, th this is the real tabernacle. This is the real high priest. This is the real sacrifice. In fact, what he, he goes on to say in chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 4, I'll read those quickly as well. For the, the law ha having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. See, they had to do, those, they had to do them over and over again. 
It says in verse 3. Um, go ahead and uh, advance to, to, to verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. Was there total forgiveness of sins every year? It's a reminder of their sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Here's the point. If you take us to the next slide, here's the point. All of the Old Testament sacrifices were mere symbols of what Christ was going to do on the cross. All of those sacrifices pointed to... In fact, what did, what did uh, John the Baptist say when he came across? Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. He recognized that all of those other things were shadows and copies of what the real thing was. And here, you had many people thinking about living in the shadows instead of in the real. We had some pretty good rain yesterday. I'm glad that I live in a house. Because if I lived in a blueprint, I would be wet. Right? And yet, that's what they were ready to do. Giving up Christ is like saying, we're going to live in the blueprint and when the blueprint was there just to point the pictures of the real. And the real is Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of it all. Here's the conclusion, really. Faith in Christ is non-negotiable. It is, it is an essential part of the gospel. And, and this is where, where the writer of Hebrews takes us from, from Hebrews 1 all the way to Hebrews chapter 10. It is showing us the supremacy of Christ and how faith in him is essential. And if you believe in everything but Christ, then, then you have believed in falsehood. You have believed in vain. And then that leads us to a question. So go ahead and advance to the next one. What about all the persecution? Right? Um, advance one more. What about all the persecution? Is there any way around that? Right? Well, all through Hebrews, he shares that there is no way around it. I'm just going to share one of those verses. In Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4, this is what we read. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. Verse 2. For if the word spoken through the angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both uh, with signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. We read these verses just a few weeks ago. He's saying, how can we escape? If, if God held people accountable for all of the, the things that the messengers in the Old Testament said, how much more now that he sent his son, right? Sent his son for us. And so when we go back um, to this, what about all the persecution? You know what? It's going to happen. It's real. But he leaves us with two, thing, two things from this point on in the, in the book of Hebrews. First, he, he leaves us with hope. He leaves us with hope. In fact, I'm going to read just a couple of verses about hope. Uh, Hebrews, Hebrews 3, verse 5 through 6, we read this. And Moses was, indeed, was faithful in all his house, as a servant for a testimony of, the, of those things which would be spoken afterwards. But Christ as a son uh, over his own house, where, where, or excuse me, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing, the hope firm to the end. The hope that we have. We also read, and this is one, this is one of my favorite verses in Hebrews chapter 6. Um, 
verses 19 and 20, we read this. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and, the, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Who's he talking about? Who enters the presence behind the veil? Jesus Christ. Our hope is still there. We have a hope. Uh, in Hebrews 7, 19, we read this. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God near to God. We have this hope of being able to once again enter into that presence of God that was lost in Genesis 3 when sin entered into the world. We have the hope of being in that position where we can enter the presence of God once again without the obstruction of sin. I don't know about you, but there's nothing better than that. Nothing better than that. To be able to enter his presence without fear and come boldly before his throne. Wow the creator of the universe, the one who's sustaining every atom in the universe. I can go and have a relationship with him? Wow. There's a hope. So he, le- he leaves us with a hope. And then where he starts off in chapter 11 is he leaves us with some heroes. People like you and me, fallible people, right? None of the people in this list are going to be perfect people. But he leaves us with a hope. He leaves us with heroes, a list of people who were fallible, but yet they had faith. They stuck to their faith, and they're rewarded for it. So what about you? Today, I want to ask uh, two simple things. When we, when we look at this, what, what about you? I'm going to ask two simple questions. Number one, have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you, do you understand the supremacy of Christ, or is he just another character in, the, in, in, in a book? Or... Do we understand who Jesus Christ is? That he is the God who created the world. He is the author who authored all of history. He, he, is, he is the temple that brings us to God. He is the sacrifice by which we enter the temple, right? He is the high priest who takes us into the holy place. He is, he is the high priest who then takes us into the holy of holies where he was the sacrifice so that once for all we could approach God's presence once again. Is that who he is to you? Have you understood that? Uh, or, or is he just another character? Or is he just a, a, a curse word that you use when something goes wrong? Uh, but Jesus Christ is supreme over everyone and everything. He's God. Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? I don't know. I don't want to assume that just because you, you've been here. You may, have, you may be here every Sunday. But if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to do that. If it could, you could be visiting today, and maybe this is the first time you've heard that, we, I would be glad to, to have you sit down with someone, walk you through the scripture, and explain to you in greater detail, any answer your questions, so that you could walk out of here today knowing for sure you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're gonna get, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And the last question is, are you living like it? See, the first question for those, if you're not 100% sure, that's you. That, that's for you. This question is for those who say, I know, I know that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, but are you living like it? Are you living like he is the one who, who holds the power of every atom in your body? Because I don't think, we, if we're honest, I don't think any of us would, have to, would be able to say that we're living completely like that. Am I right? There are things I, that I permit in my life or attitudes that will come up, and I'll let that attitude be there, or, or I'll say something that I shouldn't say, where if I were in the presence of Christ— or let me rephrase it, if I were aware of the presence of Christ, then I wouldn't have said that, or I wouldn't have done that. Why? Because I've forgotten the supremacy of Christ. So I know it here, 
but I forget right here. And if that's you today, are you living like you're in the presence of Jesus Christ, the supreme creator of the universe? Are you living like it today? And if not, I've got great news for you. Here, right now is an opportunity. I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to sing a song. I'm not going to bother you if you come forward. It's just between you and God. Come back and say, Lord, I want to be back in your presence. Well, we know you're everywhere present. But I want you to be right here, and, and I, want, I want you to be right here. I want to live in the light of your presence. And today is a day to do that. Get, get serious with God. And if you think, well, I don't want to come forward because then people might think this or people might think that, then, you are, then you're way too much in the presence of people, right? But just be in the presence of God for a little while, regardless of who's around you, of who's watching you. No one's, no one's going to think anything of it. But if the Lord's working in your heart, then today is the day. Just come forward and say, you know what, Lord? I want to be back in your presence. I want to live like it. If, if you're wanting to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would ask you to either come, come straight to me, or you can go straight to the back. We have uh, men or women with a little lanyard that says, Ask Me, and they can show you from God's Word how you can know for sure you have eternal life. But let's do that together as we sing. Let me pray, and then we'll sing together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Word. And Lord, it's convicting when we realize how we have forgotten your presence. Lord, you've spoken to us through miracles and, 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 and confirmed your word and through miracles and through prophets and angels. And yet now you have spoken to us through your own son, who is your image. So Lord, I, I pray that we would recognize his presence in our lives right now. And Lord, I pray that if you're working in the hearts of anyone here, that you wouldn't let anything be an obstacle to keep them from, from doing what is right. Maybe there's some sins that need to be confessed. Maybe there's some attitudes that, that need to be checked. Maybe there's some patterns of behavior that need to change. And we need to come back into your presence and just cry out and ask for your help. As the creator of the world, you... You should be feared. But yet you ask us to come boldly before your throne. We can only do that because of Christ. And Lord, if there's anyone here that has never met Christ, I pray that today would be that day. They would not walk out of here without that knowledge, knowing that they'll spend eternity in heaven. Not because of anything they did or could do or will do, but because of what Christ already did. And Lord, I pray this in Christ's name.